So if you are joining us online, we welcome you again. I'm Pastor Crystal, and we are finishing up our series in the book of James. It almost felt like somebody wanted to say, hey, man. <laughs> it's, it's, it's been a little bit of a convicting time, and it's because at the end of the day, the bottom line here is that what we claim to believe must be evident in how we live. And James is pushing us hard, calling us out, and calling us to look like our Savior. See, here at Northview, we are going to be a people, a chosen people who choose to be consistent, where our faith and our actions line up. Amen? So, how you choose to live matters. It matters to God. It matters to your family. It matters to your church. And you know what? It matters to the world around us. It matters to the people who are looking for hope. Because if the Jesus people don't have hope, if the Jesus people don't have joy, then what hope is there for the world? See, we're the hope of the world. So consistency matters. Eugene Peterson, I quoted this in our first week, Eugene Peterson says that our life with Jesus is a long obedience in the same direction. This morning's message, you can breathe a little bit because I don't know that it's quite the same punch in the gut the other four weeks have been. So when I say that, it doesn't mean that this is less important. This matters, loved ones. But it might not be the ouch as we read through the text that the previous texts have been. I want to I give you a quote from Corey Ten Boom. If you've not read The Hiding Place, read it. Okay? That's just, that's a little extra. You didn't even sign up for that one. Read it. It'll bless you, convict you, and challenge you. Read it. All right, so this is what Corey says. Corey asks the question, she says, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Huh, that one's an ouch, right? So if you, if you haven't figured this out yet, I love Jesus. Like, I'm, I'm crazy in love with him. And I honestly cannot believe that this is what I get to do. That I get to serve him and declare his goodness. That I get to teach his word. That I get to pray with people on their hardest of days. And celebrate in their glorious moments that I get to be part of watching dead people come alive when they meet Jesus for the first time. This life is a ride, folks. It is so much fun. It is hard and it is challenging. But I wouldn't trade it for anything. Because on my worst day with Jesus, it's better than my best day without him. So a few years ago, 
we were going to do a community egg hunt. Some of you will remember. And so we announced it to the church and said, this is what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to do a community egg hunt in the village. And it's going to be in the park. And it's going to be outside. And let's go. And, and my type A personalities were like, hey, what's the backup plan? What if it rains? And I said, there is no backup plan. Now, I'm not just flippant. It was the Lord had said to me, trust me on this. Just plan for the park. All right, so that looked really good in the weeks and months leading up to it. That we were flowing in chocolate, youth were packing eggs, it was great. And then on Good Friday, we do a community crosswalk. The group of churches in our village would gather together and that's what they would do. And it rained. And it poured. And it rained some more. And we were soaking wet from the crosswalk. And then we went home and it rained. And it rained. And it rained. And some folks were calling saying, what's the backup plan? And I'm like, we don't have one. God said plan A. So we prayed. And it rained. And Saturday morning, really early, Daryl got a phone call from a friend in the church that said, this isn't still on, is it? It's raining. Daryl was sitting on the side of the bed, and he looks over at me, and he's like, is this still a go? And I said, it's a go. Daryl says, Crystal says it's a go. (laughs) So out to Lakefield we go. And it was just spitting at the time. And we go over... Some of our guys had already gone to the park, and to tell you that the grass was wet would be an understatement. There was like pools of water, pools of water all over the grass. So, all right, we got some tarps, and we put it on the asphalt, and we just changed our plan. God said, plan A only. And so it was was gray, and it was cloudy, but the rain stopped as we set up the tarps. And the people came. And the people came. And it was a great day. And a friend in ministry from the village, he had called me because he had had to run to Peterborough, so he was late coming to our event. And he called and he said, hey, Crystal, I'm so sorry you must have canceled it, right? And I said, no, we're we're at the park. And he says, I'm at Maple's Corners, and it's pouring down rain. Now, if you know Lakefield, Maples Corners was where people came and got the ice cream. We were just at the arena. Okay? It's raining on the edge of the village, but it wasn't raining where we were. We had this amazing event. Then we packed it all up. We drove all of our stuff back to the office. And on the last haul in, it started to rain. And that was that. If you don't know this, let me tell you, this embarrasses my husband when I say this, but it is just so true. You need to know, Jesus is sweet on me. Now, I'm not saying he's not sweet on you, but he's sweet on me. If you've read through the Old Testament, you're familiar with a guy named Elijah. And I, I love Elijah. He's quirky and he's weird and he, he whines a little bit. I can relate. 
But he shows up on the scene in 1 Kings 17. And it says this, Now Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead, said to Ahab, Now Ahab is a nasty, nasty king, okay? This is what Elijah says as he shows up on the scene. As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain for the next few years except at my word. Now, Elijah's my kind of guy. Because I, I like to pray for the rain to stop. See, Jesus tells us in Luke 4 that, in fact, it didn't rain for three and a half years. So picture this prophet coming up to this evil king and saying, the God that I serve, the one who's called me, it's not going to rain. It's not going to rain until I call it to rain because he is God. So Elijah begins to be this thorn, God's thorn in Ahab's side. And in chapter 18, Ahab calls Elijah the troubler of Israel. The troubler. Yeah, listen, we want that title. We want to be the troublers of Peterborough or the surroundings or the province or the country because here's why. So Elijah says, I'm not the troubler. You're the troubler. You and your false worship to fake gods and all of your fake prophets, you're the problem. So then Elijah challenges, right there in that moment, the prophets of the false god, a god named Baal. He challenges them to a my god is better than your god smackdown. And they go on up to Mount Carmel. And oh, I wish I was there. Because they create these two altars. And there's 450 prophets of Baal. And they get the calves ready, and they build their altar, and Elijah says, you go first. Now, the winner, the winner would be whatever, whatever God rained down fire to burn up the sacrifice. And so, 450 prophets of Baal, there they are, with their, with their parts of their calf on their altar, and they're praying, and they're petitioning from morning till noon. And they're, they're just going at it. And then this is what makes Elijah also my kind of guy. He's like, hey, guys, maybe he's sleeping and he can't hear you. You should get a little louder. And he starts mocking them. And so they get louder. And they're yelling and they're crying and they're wailing, and yet there's no fire falling. And so then they totally cross a line, in my opinion. They start cutting themselves. They start slashing themselves. And the Bible says the blood flowed. And yet there was no fire. Somewhere in the midst of this, Elijah has taken apart his altar. And he's now compiling 12 stones to represent the tribes of Israel. And he's audacious. He builds a trench around his altar. Then he puts the wood on the stones, the meat on the wood, and said, start hauling the water. 
four big jugs. The scripture says that as they poured it over the cow and the wood and the rocks, there was so much that it filled. It filled the trench. Show off. And then, and then, he said, all right. God of heaven, living Lord, I am your servant. Show them. Show them now who you are. And fire consumed everything. Like this was like cremation. There was nothing left. The calf was gone. The wood was gone. The water was gone. It was amazing. That's the God we serve. That's the God we pray to. I need you to keep Elijah as your lens as we hear what James has to say to us this morning. So, James chapter 5. I'm going to go to my notes so they're lined up. Starting in verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain in the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gained rain, gave rain, and the earth produced crop. Loved ones, our faith is proven genuine by our prayerful dependence on the Lord. you are not talking to God, then you've got some work to do. See, I, I wonder, as I read this passage on prayer, knowing that, that James and his story, he's the brother of the Lord. He didn't believe until Jesus showed up after the resurrection. He becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And he was a prayer. He had a passion for prayer. So I wonder, as he was inspired to pen these words, was there a little extra oomph, a little more heartbeat as he talked about prayer? You know, and I've told you, and you'll hear it many times, that the Bible plays in my head like a movie. I love to let my imagination go wild, not my theology. Just my imagination. And so I, I want to think that James, 
he would have this saying to his inner circle that says, you know, I don't trust anybody's faith if they have smooth knees. See, James's nickname was Camel Knees because he spent so much time kneeling in prayer. So it would make sense, right, that if you had smooth knees, you might not be praying, Pastor, I've got bad knees. It's okay. It's okay. When we read these six verses in James, he mentions prayer seven times. And I'm going to propose that he breaks it down to talk about personal prayer, intercessory prayer, and corporate prayer. And let's not forget about Elijah and the power of prayer. Mother Teresa said that prayer is not asking Prayer is putting oneself in the hands of God at his disposition and listening to his voice in the depth of your heart. You know, I can confidently say we stayed faithful to plan A. What I didn't tell you is that there were a few times where I said, Lord, did I hear you right? Are you sure there's not a plan B? Because it's raining. It's raining. And we have a lot of chocolate. But the Lord kept saying, you heard me. Plan A. See, God doesn't need a backup plan. So I have a question for you. Who's your person? Who's your person? If you just found out that you got a promotion or a raise at work or you won an award at the Bible College or at Trent or Fleming, who's your person? Who's the first one that you call? If you're having an ordinary day and something extraordinary happens, who's the person you share it with first? Or what about on that horrible day when something disastrous befalls you? Who's your person? Who do you go to? Who's the first one you want to talk to? See, all through this letter, James is trying to get us to understand that our first response, our go-to person, is to be the Lord. That in all things, God should be our person. The first thought, the first love. He's to be the center and the core of our life. So as he looks at your life, is that true of you? Is he your person? Is he your go-to place? James says, is Anyone among you in trouble, let them pray. In week one, we talked about trials. And I just want to remind you that, that trials do not produce faith. They expose our faith. So when we're in trouble, it exposes our faith. When you're in trouble... 
who do you go to? See, James is saying, pray. Paul says that faith comes from, from hearing. And it's the hearing of the good news of Jesus. Trials expose our faith. Hearing develops it. Reading the word develops our faith. See, loved ones, the Lord is not worried about making you happy. Okay? He's not a genie in a bottle. He's not all that concerned with your happiness. Now, he's not against it, but that's not his objective in your life. See, he cares about your holiness. He cares about you becoming more like him. Be holy, for he is holy. So consistency, faith and action matter to the Lord. So when we face trouble, and if you don't know this, I'm sorry to tell you that Jesus has already told us that in this life we will face trouble. It's a guarantee. So if you haven't experienced any, it's coming, I'm sorry. But he also says, but be of good cheer, because I've overcome the world. So in this life, we are going to have trouble. So when we face trouble, James says, when you have trouble, pray. Pray. Paul says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Jesus put that on Paul's heart to write to the Corinthian church. That God's grace is sufficient. Are you in trouble? Pray. Who's your person? If the first name is not Yahweh, we've got a problem. Then James says, is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. In chapter 1, James says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heaven. Every good and perfect gift. Have you ever thought about praise being prayer? Think about what we just sang a few minutes ago. We sang prayers to the Lord. So if you're in trouble, pray. If things are good, pray. Personal prayer matters. See, the Lord wants to hear all about your day. He wants to hear your thoughts. He wants you to take the time to be intimate and dwell with him. He wants to matter first in your life. So whatever you face, talk to the Lord about it. Next, is anyone among you sick? Call for the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil. 
So personal prayer. If you're in trouble, pray. If it's going good, pray. Personal prayer. Do you have a need? Are you sick? Call for the elders. Call for the body to come alongside you. This is intercessory prayer is what we call it. This is the, I need you to stand in the gap for me right now. I need you to stand in the gap in faith and talk to God on my behalf. I need him. See, this is what begins to bond us together. I love when I do marriage counseling because I give this warning because one of the first pieces of homework I will give is that you'll begin to pray together. And I'm like, now be careful. Because there's something that happens when you begin to pray together. See, there's a bond that begins to form. And so husbands and wives pray together. It will bond you spiritually. It will bring your souls together and your hearts together. But as the body of Christ, praying together is what helps make us family. When we stand in the gap for the needs of others. And there is a faithful group of you that every single Wednesday morning, you gather to stand in the gap. And there is a prayer chain, and there are people. There are people who organize our intercessory prayer. That's what it is. You have pastors in this church. We will stand in the gap for you. And you're to stand in the gap for us. And for others. But see, there's a responsibility here. I want you to notice that James says, Is any of you or any among you sick? Call for the elders, call for people to pray. Okay? We have some responsibility when we need prayer. There are times where the Lord is going to put you on the hearts of people, and there are going to be times when you're the person that receives a name and the Lord says, Pray right now. And that is a gift, and foster that in your life. But see, part of the act of faith is stepping out saying, I need prayer. I, I, I need you to stand in the gap here with me. I need you to talk to our Father with me. I can't go this one alone. So if you're sick, call for the elders. And we anoint with oil, and, and I'm not going to really unpack that a whole lot, but back in, in the day that James wrote this letter, oil was used medicinally, but it's also used symbolically. And we recognize the submission to the Lord and the surrendering to him. And to this day, we still practice anointing people with oil. So personal prayer, intercessory prayer. We need to take note that James talks about a prayer in faith will make a sick person well. I believe it and I have seen it. 
In fact, 2013, I was with a group of ladies, and a prayer request had come in, and we had prayed. We had prayed a very simple prayer. We prayed for the request exactly as it had come in. But that is not how God responded. God did immeasurably more. And then more again, and more again, and more again, to the point where there was actually an organ replacement. See, I've, I've learned that I pray too small. I've learned. I've learned that Elijah was just a human like me. And yet he had a boldness of faith. See, another thing that I say, I'll confess now, because you're going to hear it. When there's a need, and we can't meet the need, you're going to hear me say something. I'm going to say to you, I know a guy. I know a guy. He happens to be my heavenly father. And he'll take care of this for us. And I don't know why everyone we pray for is not healed. But I do know that God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And I do know that God will always choose to glorify himself. And I also know that what he has shared with us belongs to us, but the mystery remains with God. And he, he has called us to make peace with the mystery. So what we can be assured of is that he hears our prayers. What we can be assured of is that he is going to move according to his will, according to what will bring him the most glory. But we'll never see people healed if we don't pray for them. So it's amazing. Spurgeon says this, true prayer is neither a mere mental exercise nor a vocal performance. It's far deeper than that. It is a spiritual transaction with the creator of heaven and earth. Every prayer is a spiritual transaction with the almighty. Then, in verse 16, we probably have the most I bet it would rank there with one of the least popular verses of Scripture. Did I hear somebody say amen? Confess your sins to one another. Every, you all just looked away from me. That was amazing. You all just averted eye contact simultaneously. Because that one's tough, right? Side note, it's tough because we failed. Let's start there. It's tough because we've gossiped. It's tough because we've not held confidence. It's tough because you and I chose not to be safe. And in choosing not to be safe, we've created a situation where we're disobedient to the word of God. So because here at Northview Church... We're going to pee at people who are consistent. 
We're going to be safe. We're going to be a people that keep confidence. So confess your sin to one another. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, the disclaimer that it's our fault that we don't like this verse because we're not safe people. I need you to hear me on this one, loved ones. And I want to be really, really clear as far as public confession of sin goes. This is not a license to air your dirty laundry. Okay? We're not going to have an open mic time where you come up and you say everything that you've done wrong. Confession should be only as public as the sin. Okay? Public confession of sin should only be as public as the commitment of sin. So then what do we do with the sins that we commit that are not in public? Have people in your life that are safe. Be a safe person. See, you and I were never created to do this life alone. We were put in community. We were put in family intentionally. Iron sharpens iron. We're to come together. And so public sin should be confessed and repented of publicly. Private sin. You don't need me in a box. I have no ability to absolve you of your sin. Not at all. Not even a little bit. But I can pray with you. And we can go to the one who has redeemed us. So why confess it all? Accountability. See, we have an enemy who wants to seek, kill, and destroy us. And he loves to tell us lies. And he wants to hold us down in those sins. But see, when we have safe people in our life, and we confess our sin, and we repent before God, and we're forgiven and restored, we have support in the love of a brother or a sister. People who will spur us on and encourage us. I'll let you in on a little secret. And all of my ministry partners in the room will agree. That as pastors, we have sat with people who have just come before us and said, Pastor, this is my struggle or this is, this is what I've been going through. And they're, they're held captive to something. And they think they're the only one. They think nobody else has experienced this. But sin is common to us all. And while I might not struggle with your particular thing, I have my own. And so being a safe place, being a vault with somebody, 
or a small group of people makes a difference. Why? Because we're to confess our sins. And we're to pray together. Because healing comes out of that. The fruit of that is healing. The fruit of that is restoration. The fruit of that is new soil for the seed of God to grow. Are you in trouble? Pray. Are you happy? Pray. Do you have a need? Call others and pray. Are you struggling with sin? Confess it and pray. Why? Why? Because our dependence on God is demonstrated through prayer. See, the day you met Jesus, the day you surrendered your life, is the day you gave up the right to yourself. You do not belong to you. You belong to him. And you are to live in step with his spirit. But in this world, you're going to have trouble. And it's going to be tough. See, Elijah, who was just a guy, he wasn't special. He was simply obedient. He was just a guy. He was not supernatural. He wasn't an angel in disguise. He was just like me. He was just like you. Listen, he got depressed. He got weary. He got tired. He got hangry. He was just a guy. But he was the guy that called the prophets of Baal to, my God is better than your God smackdown on Mount Carmel. And he's the guy that had enough boldness and enough confidence in God to drench his altar. And then to say, have at it, Lord. So if you're in trouble, have at it, Lord. If you're happy, have at it, Lord, for your glory. If you're sick, you call others and together you say, have at it, Lord. And you confess it to others and you say, have at it, Lord. See, could you imagine what would become of us as a Northview family? What would become of us as a global movement of the Spirit of Christ if God became our person? That the first thing we do in everything was to go to him. I'm going to conclude with this question. 
So worship team, you can start making your way back up. And make a statement first. Our dependence on God is demonstrated through our prayers. Our dependence on God is demonstrated through our conversations with him. So let me ask you this morning. Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? I have really good news. If you are feeling like it's been your spare tire, today's the day to make the adjustment. Today's the day to make it the steering wheel. Today's the day. A brand new start. A brand new opportunity to choose God to be your person. When you're in trouble, when you're happy, when you're in need, when you're in sin, he can be your steering wheel. And if he's done it for others, he will do it for you. That's the gift of our Lord. So let's pray together. Father God, we thank you. We thank you that you weren't just a creator who made this world and let it be. You stepped in. You stepped in to be in relationship with us. Lord, and I know that we, we do not even understand the magnitude of that. Because who are we that you would be mindful of us? That you would want to be our friend? Lord, and I, and I pray on behalf of us and I ask for your forgiveness. For the times and the ways we've not made you our person. Where we put others before you where you weren't our first thought. Lord, will you forgive us this day? Our heart's longing is to have you first. So Lord, in bold faith, we pray that today we dedicate ourselves to making conversation with you, prayer with you, to be the steering wheel in our life. That in all things, in all things, we will come to you first. Holy Spirit, help us. Prompt us as we need it. As we commit ourselves and surrender ourselves to you, our King. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So you know I love this blessing. And if you're new with us, let me tell you why. It's because the Lord told Moses to tell Aaron to teach the priests to pray this over the people of God. And the Lord says that when this is prayed over us, that he's going to hear 
and he's going to write his name on us. So, if you were to receive a gift this morning, you would reach out to take it. So I want to invite you to just put your hands out for the Lord to receive this this morning. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, serve him well this week, church. Have a wonderful week.